0: We are in the book of Revelation, very last book in your Bibles. Uh, We are in chapter 11 this morning. And uh, maybe it's good that y'all are a little foggy and a little sleepy today because generally this is considered one of the most difficult, one of the most complex, one of the most challenging chapters in all of the Bible. To understand and interpret. So, uh, maybe that's a good thing that we're uh, a little sleepy, you know, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll see. Okay, as I've shared in previous weeks, um, I'm going to give you my best shot here. I've uh, looked it over and I'm going to do my very best to explain to you what is a very interesting and yet very uh, complicated chapter. So that's uh, my preamble. Uh, three suppositions, and I, uh, I believe I found these from Pastor David Jeremiah, and I think um, these are the three suppositions or the three foundations that I'm going to use for interpreting this chapter. Uh, first, this is a Jewish chapter of Scripture. Its focus is on Jerusalem and the temple, and the Jewish people in the end times. So if you understand that, first of all, it's a Jewish chapter of Scripture. Secondly, um, this is prophetic in the sense that this is something that will happen in the future. As, as I read, there are some who, uh, they, they want to go back in history and say, no, this is something that's already occurred. I, I don't think that's how it's presented. I don't think that's accurate. So uh, this is something that is future, not past. And finally, I believe Revelation 11 should be taken just as it's written, and I would argue that it's, it's, it's literal. In other words, the people, the numbers, the places, the events are meant to be understood exactly as John wrote them down, not symbolically or figuratively. So that's the three suppositions that we're going to carry in as we uh, work through this book. But you needed to understand that because uh, if you don't have those, uh, you can go off into a whole bunch of interesting places with this chapter. And uh, honestly, many do. John is going to zoom in today on the nation of Israel, his chosen people. And specifically, we're going to look in uh, Revelation 11 at the capital city of the nation of Israel and the capital city of Israel then and even today is anybody? Uh, Starts with a J. Say it. Jerusalem. Uh, What's interesting about Jerusalem, it's uh, a sacred city, a holy city for three of the world's major religions. And if you'll think with me just for a minute, as followers of Jesus, Christians We view this city as the place of the cross. Uh, It's The gospel took place. Remember, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Later in the week, he was betrayed by Judas in this city, arrested, tried in front of Pilate, uh, tried in front of the Jewish leaders, crucified on the cross in Jerusalem early on Sunday morning in Jerusalem, he literally, bodily, physically arose from the dead. Empty tomb in Jerusalem. And then a little sneak peek for what's coming down the road. Revelation 21 and verse 2. Uh, when Jesus sets up his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, new heaven, new earth, any guesses where that's going to be? Revelation 21-2. Oh, Jerusalem. So this is a pretty important city as far as Christians are concerned Uh, but the Muslims uh, they believe that Jerusalem is really important from their perspective they believe this is the place where their prophet Muhammad ascended to the presence of Allah Uh, they view this as a very the second most sacred city in their in their religion they built the Golden Dome of the Rock and the Alaska Mosque right over the place, track with me, where they believe that Abraham almost sacrificed, they say, Ishmael. Isn't that interesting? Not not Isaac, almost sacrificed, they believe, Ishmael, and they track their lineage from Ishmael, and from Ishmael comes the arid people. So just so you know, this is a really important city from the Muslims' perspective. And finally, to the Jews, this is the place where the temple once stood. The Jewish people, uh, beginning with Solomon, this is the place where Solomon erected this glorious temple. And in 583 B.C., the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar came in and ripped it to shreds. Uh, it was rebuilt by Zerubbabel say that fast three times Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel could you do it? Uh, anyway in Ezra chapter 3 it's rebuilt and then it was destroyed again by this guy named and this is a fun name to say too Antiochus Epiphanes isn't that kind of fun? Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes came in and destroyed Zerubbabel's uh, temple in 168 B.C and then King Herod started rebuilding the temple, and that was the temple that Jesus flipped over the money changers tables, remember? That's the temple that was there in the Gospels, and that temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. So that's, that's kind of the historical background, the only surviving remnants of the temple today are a few foundation stones of the temple wall. Now listen, that's known as the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. Uh, Right now several well-financed organizations are actively making plans to rebuild the temple. Uh, They are planning and training their, uh, their rabbis and their priests uh, I'm told that they're, they're raising what they hope will be a red heifer. Uh, they're ready and they're eager to go. What do you think is stopping them from just going ahead and rebuilding the temple? Any, any guesses? Uh, I, I would call it World War III. Because if anybody tries to build on that spot, rebuild the temple where the second most holy site to the Muslims The Golden Dome of the Rock is, I'm telling you, World War III will break out. And and, any time you see where stones start to fly and hatred uh, heats up in Jerusalem, it's usually because of this spot. Uh, Nobody's got any give there. Nobody is going to say, okay, you can have it. Because to everyone there, this is a sacred site and uh, lots of violence happens right around the temple there in Jerusalem okay now let's look at Revelation chapter 11 why, why is this important why'd you give us the history lesson um, because in chapter 11 the temple is rebuilt the temple gets rebuilt here in the tribulation time you can write this down 2nd Thessalonians 2 4 I don't have time to go there I wish I did But the Antichrist is the one leading the charge to rebuild the temple, and we learn that in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. And then after it's completed, then he claims to be the Christ. He comes and says, okay, this is going to be my holy spot, and you can worship me as God. That's the Antichrist. Daniel 9.27 tells us that the Antichrist makes a treaty, an ungodly alliance with Israel. And then now he's going to use the temple as his holy pulpit, so to speak. Um, we read earlier, remember Hebrews 9, 11 to 16? Hebrews 10, 1 to 4, the death, the shed blood of Jesus is enough. Uh, you don't need to go back to the sacrificial system because Jesus, once for all on the cross, he did that. We don't need the temple back in gear. Um, But many of the Jews who are still not willing to believe in Jesus as their Christ, they won't accept the cross. Uh, They make a treaty with the Antichrist because they want the temple rebuilt. They, They want the Old Testament sacrificial system reinstituted. The blood of bulls and goats and lambs, that's what they want. We know, give me your eyes, that as followers of Jesus... 1 Corinthians 6.19, Ephesians 2.22, where's the temple today? Where is the temple of God today? Point to where the temple of God is today. Oh, yeah, we are the temple. But they want a literal temple there in Jerusalem, and the Antichrist is going to help make that happen for them. So that's the background for what we're about to read, okay? Let's stand together, let's read out loud verses 1 to 6 to start, okay? Uh, We'll get into the whole chapter in just a bit. Verse 1, let's read it. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die." They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this is pretty complex and this is pretty hard to understand, so we need your help. Truth is, we need your help all the time. But... uh, I know this uh, This pastor right now looks to you for guidance and direction as we dig in. Help us to understand what it is that you are saying here through John. Help us, Lord, to uh, find some truth that applies to us that we can learn from Revelation chapter 11. Lord, right now I also want to lift up some uh, members of the body here of of your church who are hurting right now i pray for uh, sue bridenstine and i pray for michelle and gabby and i'm asking lord that you might bring comfort and strength to them as they're dealing with the loss of their husband their father their son-in-law so lord we lift up that entire family to you lord help us as a church to rally around them and love on them and i pray as well for uh my friend Jan Mahelich, who got really bad news this week. Uh, Lord, I I ask for her and Ward that you'd give them the strength they need to deal with the fact that it looks like the cancer's back. So uh, give them lots of grace and mercy and give them wisdom as they figure out exactly what uh, the next step is. So Lord, thank you that uh, we can lift each other up and love on each other and encourage one another. May your spirit come into your church right now and come in combination with your word. We're, we're ready to hear from you. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with one voice, Amen. you may be seated. Hey, everybody, I'm glad you made it. Yeah, you, there's lots of you here now. Nice going, nice going. <laughs> uh, verse 1, hey, John, go, go, go measure the temple area. Go measure this place. The, the Jews and the Antichrist, they think it belongs to them, but no, this is the place that I'm going to come and sit on my throne at. Biblical times, when you measured something, you were showing ownership. You would never go and measure the neighbor's yard. You would never go and measure something that didn't belong to you. If you measured something, that was your property that you were measuring. Okay? So it's, it's showing this belongs to the Lord God, the one on the throne, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, for three and a half years, 1,260 days, this sacred place um, I will rule from someday is going to be trampled by non-Jews. The Antichrist made the treaty with the Jews, they rebuilt the temple, and now it's going to be trampled. For forty-two months, um, time, times and a half. Daniel seven, twenty-five kind of looks forward to this. So I'm going to send to Israel. Look at verse three uh, and the watching world. Verse three, two witnesses, uh, and they're going to be dressed in sackcloth, mourning, uh, because there's lots of sin going on. God's chosen people have rebuilt the temple, and they're still rejecting the Messiah. The perfect sinless Lamb of God. And now they've made this alliance with the false Jesus. Uh, these two super witnesses are going to testify to Israel and the survivors of the first seals and trumpets. Um, this is what you need to know Jesus Christ has come. Once for all, He has taken your place on the cross and he shed his blood and he took your place in the tomb and early on Sunday morning he arose from the dead. And those two witnesses are not going to shut up about that. They're going to say it over and over again. They're going to tell the world what they don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that and they just keep saying it. Jesus is the Lamb of God. You need to believe in him and receive him and repent of your sinful ways. Um, Verse 6. And these two super witnesses, I'm going to call them, are going to have lots of power. Lots of Christ-given power. What kind of power, you say? Look at verse 5. Uh, the power to kill any enemy who attempts to harm them. Fire flows from their mouth. And if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 7-14, to 14, you can write that down, but King Ahaziah... Twice sent messengers to Elijah and both times uh, Elijah knew you're lying, you're playing games and fire comes down from heaven first time kills the captain of the the king and 50 men he sends the second group what happens? fire comes down kills the captain of the king and 50 men and then he sends a third group and if you read, it's kind of interesting. The third group, the the captain says, "Please don't kill us." He told me I had to come, and and he knew he he probably could still see the corpses still smoking over there, uh, of the other hundred people, and and uh, rightly so. But that was through Elijah that that was going on. Uh, these two witnesses are given the power to stop the rain. Uh, Eli- Elijah, we're told in James five seventeen is able to stop the rain, Old Testament, for three and a half years. That's going on again. Uh, Verse 6, these two super witnesses are given the power to turn water into blood. Do you remember that in the Old Testament? Anytime that water was turned into blood, who who had the power? Who did God empower and trust to do that back in Exodus chapter 7? Do you remember his name? What was his name? Mo, Moses, yeah. And he took his staff and touched the Nile River, and the entire Nile River turns bloody. Oh, and these two super witnesses, verse 6, are given the power to unleash plagues on the entire world here. Um, and, and we know back in Exodus chapter 8 through Exodus chapter 11, who is given the power, who is God's representative? What is his name again? Moses and he uh, unleashes frogs, gnats, flies, dead cattle, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the death of all the firstborn on the nation of Egypt. So we've got Elijah and Moses, at least stuff that they did back there seeming to happen. And then if you go to Matthew seventeen three, you can turn there quickly if you want, but I, I think this is kind of interesting. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the last days of Jesus' earthly ministry, who appears as the witnesses to the authority and the power of Jesus Christ? Uh, any guesses? Matthew seventeen three. Uh, the two witnesses who appear on the Mount of Transfiguration are Elijah and Interesting. Interesting. Uh, the greatest, most powerful prophet in the Old Testament, Elijah. The one the Lord used to deliver his chosen people out of bondage. The one who the law was given to written on stone. So you have one representing the law and the other representing the prophets, uh, Elijah and Moses. Um, So is this Elijah and Moses? You know, Myron, if you press me, I think, yeah, probably. Or it's Elijah-like or Moses-like witnesses uh, but I tend to think he he said you know no, the real the real deal and uh, I, I tend to think this really is Elijah and Moses and they're there at the rebuilt temple and they're getting in the faces of the Jews and they're testifying about Jesus is the Messiah what's wrong with you people why haven't you repented why haven't you turned to Jesus as Savior and Lord verse 7 now, when they had finished their testimony, uh, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. What? Yep. Uh, uh, the beast comes and attacks the two super witnesses, and then, verse 8, their bodies will lie in the public square of that great city, Jerusalem which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them, and they're going to be so happy they're dead, they're going to celebrate it by what? Sending each other gifts, because these two prophets had tormented them. How did they torment them? They kept telling them truth they didn't want to hear. Um, The beast, Satan's representative, so hates these witnesses that he comes up out of the abyss and slaughters, murders the two witnesses, Elijah and Moses. He commits his violent act, verse 8, in Jerusalem, which now is spiritually speaking, just like Sodom in the days of Lot, you remember that, or Egypt in the days of Pharaoh. That's how wicked it was there in in Jerusalem at this time. Verse 9, for three and a half days, their bruised and bloodied bodies lay there. And here's what's interesting, and everybody on earth can see them. And for many, many centuries, people laughed. Well, how could everybody see these two super witnesses? But today, we don't laugh at that anymore. We get it, don't we? Today, uh, well, of course, you know, with with satellites and TV, uh, of course, you, you can get it. You understand how everybody could see their bodies laying there in the street on Jerusalem. Verse 10, the death of Moses and Elijah results in what Warren Wearsby calls satanic Christmas. Satanic Christmas, where everybody starts sending each other gifts. That's how hated these two witnesses were. They so didn't want to hear about the cross and the empty tomb that when they are slaughtered and murdered, people celebrate and they start sending each other gifts. Verse 11. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Don't you love it when Jesus overrules Satan? I love it. And and they're scared, because now those two super witnesses are alive, and then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come on up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. So you got all of the, the, the newscasters and they're there and they got their cameras trained on it and suddenly now they're transported to the presence of King Jesus. And terror fills the earth. What? Well, I, just, I just celebrated and I just gave a gift and uh oh, and, and television and internet across the globe. YouTube videos downloaded 50 billion times now. Elijah and Moses transported back to heaven. And just to make sure they got the message, look at verse 13. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake. A tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. (laughs) They're so scared, They're so shook up that they so hated their message but now it's clear God is in it. Jesus Christ has breathed life back into these two super witnesses and they knew that Jesus had raised them and it seems that some of them woke up and they turned from their sinfulness and praised the God of heaven. They start praising Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse fifteen. Notice what happens Um, in heaven. uh, The two super witnesses are now back up in the presence of the Lord, back up in in, in glory in heaven. Um, Verse fifteen. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and loud voices in heaven which says, "The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Messiah." And he will reign forever and ever. I just got to stop here for a moment and tell you, uh, crowd in heaven goes nuts. Uh, they break out and they sing the Alleluia Chorus. Did you know that Handel wrote the Messiah based on these verses? And he shall reign forever and ever going. And he shall reign. That's right here. It, it, that, that's where he got it from. Okay? So, so uh, this hundred million angel choir is singing, and the 24 elders do what they always do. They run their thrones, and they fall on their faces, and they worship God. And now they're saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was. You've taken your great power. You've begun to reign. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for those destroying, for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple... That's where the presence of Jesus' is, was opened. And within his temple was seen the Ark of his Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, severe hailstorm. That's a powerful picture. Okay? Uh, Jesus is worshipped. He is adored. And uh, now they all realize, you know what? You are the real deal. And heaven goes nuts. They praise the Lord. And I like verse 18. Jesus will reward both those great and small. Two thoughts I'd like us to conclude with today. First thought is this. um, You may be in the quiet corners. You may think nobody notices what you're doing. You may be thinking that what you're doing in serving Jesus isn't making a difference. I, I just want you to look again at verse 18 the Lord knows the Lord notices the Lord cares and the people who serve him both great and small will be rewarded and sometimes sometimes here on earth you know it, it, the days get long and sometimes I I don't know if I can keep on keeping on and this is really hard and this is difficult and I just want you to know the Lord notices you're serving Him. The Lord notices His servants, and He's saying, reward's coming. Keep on serving. Hang in there. Remain faithful. He, he notices, yeah, the great ones, but He also cares about the small ones. Even if no one's watching, even if nobody knows about it, Jesus knows, and He will reward His faithful servants second thought, and we're done. Sometimes the Lord calls us to a place of suffering. Let that soak in for a minute. I'm not sure I want to, Pastor Jeff. But sometimes the Lord's plan is to call us to a place of suffering. These two super witnesses were able to share with the entire watching world, and now they are witnessing to the entire world about the reality of Jesus Christ and the cross and the shed blood and the empty tomb. And then, track with me, and then the Lord allows them to be slaughtered in front of the entire world. And that was his plan. He he planned that. And you're saying, really? Yeah. The Lord Jesus often does his best work in times of trouble and pain and suffering. Let me say that again. The Lord Jesus often does his best work in us. We shine the brightest in times of pain and trouble and suffering. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, let me read you from 2 Corinthians 12. Here's what Jesus said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, Paul says, I delight in weaknesses, I delight in insults, I delight in hardships, I delight in persecutions, I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm what? Really? I'm just telling you, we want to run from these we yell Lord get rid of it I don't want to be weak I don't want insults or hardships or persecutions or difficult I don't want weakness but the Lord's saying I do my best work in times of pain and trouble and suffering so if you're in one of those places today I just want to say five things to you okay you're not alone You've got a shepherd that's going to walk with you whatever you're facing. Secondly, it's only temporary. This isn't going to go on for eternity. This is temporary whatever pain or trouble or suffering you're in the middle of. Third thing, here's what I want to tell you. Jesus knows what he's doing. We may not understand it. I don't get it. I don't particularly like it. But, Lord, I do believe you're on the throne and you know what you're doing. Fourth, when you're weak, when you're hurting, when you're in trouble, when you're suffering, are you ready? Number four, you're in a place and a position of power. Christians, we get power when there's trouble and pain and, because that's when we finally let the Lord come and work through us because we know we can't do it on our own. Help! And now suddenly the Lord's ready to work through us. Are you ready? And number five, the best is yet to come. This isn't home. This isn't it. This isn't the final stop. This isn't, aren't you glad this isn't heaven? This is not it. The best is yet to come. And that's what this passage shouts. So if you're here today and there's, some confusion and some pain and some struggle and suffering and trouble going on in your life, I'll say these again. You're not alone. It's only temporary. Jesus knows what he's doing. You're in a place and a position of power and strength, and don't give up because the best is yet to come. Lord, thank you for noticing and caring about each and every one of your servants, great and small. And for most of us, Lord, it's that small part that we're grateful for. Um, You care and you notice um, every detail of those serving in the quiet corners. So Lord, I want to pray for those who are in the quiet corners and maybe they're... uh, They're tired and they're worn out and they're stressed and they're thinking about giving up. I pray that even today that you might bring encouragement. That they might continue on and keep on keeping on. Help them to faithfully keep serving you and your church and your kingdom. Lord, may today they renew their commitment. Because you care. Because you notice. Because it matters to you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Pray also now, Lord, for those who are in the middle of pain and trouble and suffering. I know some are here and they're feeling weak and broken right now. Lord, please give them grace to hold on tight to you. Lord, may they be reminded that they're not alone. You, the Good Shepherd, are walking right there at their side. Lord, encourage them with the fact that this time is temporary. And even though we might not understand why this situation is going on, we might not like the pain and the struggle and the confusion, Lord, we believe you know what you're doing, and we trust you. Lord, may even in our weakness, may we sense your power and your strength Help us to shine bright for you. And Lord, we can't wait to sing the Alleluia choralers with a hundred million strong angel choir. Lord, we can't wait to be with you face to face because we know the best is yet to come. And now, Lord, as the ushers come forward, we're grateful to be able to give to meet the needs of those in the body who are hurting.